previously on Spies Like Us. Welcome back to Spies Like Us. This is part two of our Miss Sloan episode, and if you're not already familiar with the film, you might want to go back and give part one a listen. While you're at it, you might want to hit the subscribe button on your favorite podcast app so that you can always stay caught up with us. That said, if you do choose to just jump on in right here in the middle, that's fine with us as well. Just give a quick recap. Uh, famed and fearsome lobbyist Elizabeth Sloan has traded sides and taken up a truly David versus Goliath political battle against the NRA. Along the way, we see both sides of, of this lobbying fight resorting to straight-up espionage tactics uh, with no holds barred. Sloan is about to lock horns in a televised debate with the chief strategist of the opposing side as we return to the plot and the briefing of this episode of Spies Like Us. That's right. Now at the debate, Sloan goes back and forth with uh, Connors with, uh, you know, talking about, you know, gun deaths and the constitution and at some point it develops into sloan basically shitting all over the constitution comparing it to a horoscope and you can watch the 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 good guy team kind of disparaging like and freaking out like what's going on uh and it's it's really kind of disconcerting um and then Sloan outs Esme Manuchirian. And this is a big deal uh, because we kind of see it as we're watching it as things are going badly. We later find out that this is probably part of Sloan's ploy. Um, and so, plus five points on throwing the debate. Uh, but I'm going to make this my number one worst tradecraft. And again, it was really hard for us to get some bad tradecraft. But her throwing the debate, I'm not sure why this was necessary. Because uh, even if she wants to out Esme for her involvement in a high school shooting to make her the big messiah of gun control, uh, I don't think she needed to throw the debate. So I'm not exactly sure why. But uh, I think Todd and I had discussed this, and it was so that the bad guy team would attack her. And later we find out she says to Merlin that this was just a shell strategy so they would come after me type of thing because she has other big plans. But um, I'm, I'm not sh- I'm not exactly sure why it was necessary, but I'm just going to go with it. And again, it was really tough, but I think this was a big hit for their campaign. Um, but she also Esme as being one of the survivors of a big high school shooting that Esme had hid. And as we discussed earlier, she did, she had uh, brought out in that dinner meeting they had. But one thing I did want to point out is after this moment, Esme starts going through a bunch of interviews and they always get her name wrong. They always call her Esme Manchurian. And she corrects them and says, Esme Manucharian. I totally did not catch this. And this is a big deal. And this is why we brought up uh, Robert Ford earlier, because we think the director or writer might have put these names in on purpose. Because for those of you who have seen The Manchurian Candidate, uh, this is apparently a saying, you know, what one definition is that it's someone being, it's a puppet by the enemy power being used unwittingly or wittingly to to create disloyalty or corruption. 
or whatever. Uh, I looked up a different definition, and it's just a person unknowingly being convinced to act towards some interest. So I think it was kind of like a cute film thing that Esme is the puppet being used. And even Sloane uh, mispronounces her name when she asks her to outsource her like social uh, uh, corrections. But later in the film, you hear Sloane correctly pronouncing it. So this is definitely a... I'm going to give plus director or writer points for uh, this little cute uh, little, little detail that they've thrown in there. I love it. Yeah. Um, but anyway, moving on. After that, uh, Merlin obviously confronts Sloan about throwing the debate. Like, what are you doing pissing all over the Constitution? Damn it, Sloan! You know, like, <laughs> like, this is exactly what the NRA wants. They want you to shit all over the Constitution. Yeah, damn it, Sloan. Yeah. Uh, but uh, uh, in a much more subtle way, I'm, I'm really pushing this damn it, Sloan thing. Uh, but anyway, uh, but this I is Sloan. Yeah, but this is where Sloane reveals her big plot to Merlin and reveals that she's left him out of the whole plot. That she, when she was missing for a little bit of time, had acquired to her pack, apparently, that she created her own pack, got all of these women's groups and feminist groups and mothers' groups and wives' groups to donate $15 million in less than a quarter. And this doesn't come entirely out of left field. The movie did give us, like, some little tips on this. We did see her meet with a certain uh, senator who was, uh, like, you know, like, very skeptical and saying, like, why would you be coming to me on this? Uh, You know, you've been on the opposite side of of my side of the fight. Say, like, the only thing you're missing is a penis? She's like, the only thing you're... The only thing she says to Sloan, the only thing you're missing is a penis. You've never been feminist, you know, like right, right, yeah, exactly, exactly. But but Sloan, uh, you know, kind of, kind of, you know, again, it's like it's just a clue that this is the the block, the the voter block that Sloan is going to. And we also got like there was a little tip off of like uh, Merlin kind of like saying like, well, what what was this thing? I just got a thank you from the like women in law enforcement for a dinner that wasn't on the schedule and she just kind of blows him off but but this is where she you know confirms to him like yeah i've been running around uh getting up getting the women up because the whole thing and this ties back to the reason part of the reason that she was so pissed off about being approached by the gun lobby is the gun lobby specifically was saying to her, you know who our weak point is? You know who we don't have? It's women. You, you could get us women. You could get women into guns. That was the proposal that, that was made to her that she like was completely like, no, fuck this. Yeah. Um, But uh, in this conversation, you know, she confirms that was part of her thinking. She was like, you know what? That guy had a point. The NRA does have a weak side. It's women. So I went and got the women. And I got women to uh, contribute uh, $15 million, which I don't pay that much attention to, like, quarterly, uh, you know, lobbying fun pack things. But apparently in the context of this movie, raising $15 million in less than a quarter is... Surprising, and that's important because, well, especially for the new firm that she's working for. Because I remember right. they got a donation right. of 
50,000 and they were like that's more than our budget or 500,000 and it was like more than their so 15 million dollars is way out of this like firm's league and part of the reason this is like always like we didn't we didn't uh put this tack in but this has always been like a kind of a David versus Goliath kind of story because the NRA is famously just has like infinitely deep pockets they're one of the the most you know, like like gun legislation is so overwhelmingly favored by the voters of this country, yeah. but it just can't get through because the gun lobby will just pour massive amounts of money into like primary challenges and and campaigns and just basically like just strong arm legislators. Yeah. So and also the filing date is important because like it's quarterly uh, every quarter. Uh, everyone has to say how much money they've raised. This is because you have to file it and, you know, like certain ethics uh, laws are in place to make sure you're not getting money from, although that's just been fucking shredded over the last 10 years. But Yeah, yeah, the super PAC, yeah. But technically, like every three months, like everyone has to file how much money they raised, and from where. And that also means that in this game of chess of lobbying, every three months, everyone gets to see what the enemy has. And you have to tell the enemy what you have just because of these rules. That's not the purpose of the rules. The purpose of the rules is to make sure nothing shady is going on. But a result of the rules is every three months, everyone in Washington gets to know like what everyone's financial situation is. So raising this $15 million all within a single quarter is like huge because it's going to surprise the fuck out of the enemy. Yeah. Really big deal. Um, Now, he's awesome, but he's, I mean, he's not thrilled about it. He realizes that she's been keeping a lot. He realizes she's been keeping a lot from him. And, you know, she makes a quip about, like, uh, you know, keeping the enemy in the dark. And he has a great line about, like, fuck it, dude, I'm not your enemy. Like, yeah. were you ever normal? Like, what is this? You're, 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 ah, damn it, Sloan. <laughs> damn it, Sloan. <laughs> but, uh, but it works. It's, a, it's a major coup. Uh, Heaton Harris begins gaining massive traction. And it comes down to just four votes that they need. So they're doing a really good job at this point. Like our little David team, as in David and Goliath, not not as in you, David. Uh, yeah. You know, we're we're starting to look like we can win. And this yeah. is the point, and that's and that, of course, is the point where the enemy firm makes the decision to go after Sloane herself to attack her as a person. And I believe, too, I want to go back a little, like, um, unless, tell me if you covered this, but uh, remember, like, you were you were giving a lot of questioning to me about why did she throw the debate, right? You know, I'm, I'm still really kind of confused about it. Like, well, I, I wanted to put Esme up, I, like, you were, you were saying that it was to get them to attack her, right? Here's, here's my best theory or like here's my explanation like she already knows she's gonna make Esme the she's gonna out Esme and make her the face of the bill 
right? That's going to be done anyways. So if you look at it, the question you were asking me is like, well, then what is the purpose of throwing the debate and like, you know, quote unquote, pissing on the Constitution and making, you know, uh, Sloan make herself look bad? Remember, she never does anything without reason. And this was a tough one because it seemed like you could just do the Esme move without throwing the debate and still get the same result. The best I can come up with is that, again, at this point, we know that it's going to be feminists are going to be the the white knights charging across the hill on a flank against the NRA. Right. And so maybe by Sloan intentionally drawing fire against herself as a person is meant to rile up the feminists. She's going to lure the enemy into making it personal against her. And to the feminists, that's going to look more like big, bad, daddy gun patriarchy uh, trying to put a woman down. Well, I mean, she did say it was a shell strategy. That the whole point of this was... Uh, she said she it was didn't... a shell... Yeah, she said it was a shell game, which I yeah. love. I got, I got massive bonus movie-watching points for you here, sir. You noticed something when we were rewinding... We were rewinding to, like, check some other shit, but you noticed something really great. It's another one of these totally cool little fine details. Is There's a shot here where uh, we see... now. At this point in the movie, we're starting to see, like, montage scenes, and we're seeing that Esme is, like, again, like you just said, like, going on all these interviews and stuff. And um, we see this one scene in, like, some kind of, like, a, a hotel lobby where they just have, like, you know, what's going on in the news on this huge, like, jumbotron kind of thing. And it's, it's uh, the camera is slowly zooming in on what's going on on the Jumbotron. But there's actually something else going on in this scene that you pointed out. And again, like, we were going back and forth. We were just trying to research something else. But you noticed that the guy who's about to become very important in the next scene is seen right here. Oh, yeah. And you you only see him from behind. But also, if you look at that zoom, if you look at it carefully, like, uh, it by the time it centers... It's him looking directly parallel at Esme's face on the screen. It's great. Yeah. Now, you, now in the next scene, we're going to find out who this guy is. Yeah, so Esme's walking out of the lobby of some building and bumps into somebody, and, you know, it seems like a really nice guy, and he realizes that she dropped her penny, goes to try and catch her, but she had already run out of the building. As she runs out of the building some guy comes up to her with a gun and starts screaming in her face. And uh, obviously this is like some extremist type guy who'd seen the big fight against guns. And he's like screaming, you want to take this away from me, bitch? Blah, blah, blah. He shoots the gun up in the air and she's freaking out. And she like goes into the fetal position. Cause she's, you know, reverted back into high school where she was at the shooting. And the guy that had bumped into her in the lobby happens to come out trying to give her a pen back, and he happens to be uh, a a gun-carrying American that shoots the bad guy 
And I think you were really excited about this shot, you know, that he needed, like, what were you saying? He needed his own movie? I think, I think it, the way that he's framed, and it, like, I feel like he's the star of a different movie that just happened to bump into this one, yes. <laughs> and this is great. I mean, this is great. Obviously, we're super happy that Esme doesn't get killed, but it's totally fucking bad for the Heaton Harris uh, bill. Because all of a sudden the gun lobby can say, see, 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 here's, you know, like their whole mantra is like the best defense against a bad guy with a gun is a good guy with a gun. And in this case, you know, uh, not to throw my political beliefs like into the mix, but I would just say a broken clock is right twice a day, right? (laughs) Um, but it's it's extremely bad for the bill, even though it shouldn't be. And that also, like, uh, you know, like turns my crank is because the guy, the gun hero in this case, wouldn't have been affected by the Heaton Harris bill. He would still have been allowed to carry his gun, no problem. Possibly the crazy guy with the gun wouldn't have been able to get his hands on a gun. Well, I think uh, that's the, the, where this kind of argument gets neutral, because I think Sloan even says, oh, uh, he wouldn't have been hit by the Heat and Harris bill. This is exactly what the Heat and Harris bill protects, versus the, the antagonist team is like, oh, see, this is why the Second Amendment's important, that, that people can go out and own guns and protect the crazies out us from the crazies out there. And this is this is where the movie sets kind of like a stage where things get kind of static, I guess. Where everybody's kind of head to head at this point. I feel I feel like in reality, I feel like this would have been a net wash. It simply would have put the pro-bill people firmly more pro-bill and the anti-bill people just firmly more anti-bill you could say that it's uh um polarizing but in the fiction of the movie it doesn't wash out like that in the fiction of the movie this just makes everyone say like we really need guns we really need guns and all of the gains that the firm has made are just like washed away by this event yeah they start losing. This we start. Is, we start losing votes. Like this is our like low point in our story for the protagonists. I guess, like this is where where the the, the good guy team is kind of like feeling that they've fallen. You know? Yeah, this is the darkest before the dawn kind of moment because I think like we're trying to set up the end of Act Two, and right. and get into Act Three. Right. And you always want to have the the. You always want to have the audience like wondering, like, "Oh my God, the heroes really got problems now." Uh, yeah. At the end of Act Two. Yeah. Um, last thing to say before we go into the end game is that, uh, you know, the the enemy they're they're they smell the blood in the water. Uh, Connors is just saying like it's like seven fucking Christmases all at once. Yeah. That really. Um, the Veep episode when the NRA came to save uh, the election or whatever. Veep. You said Veep. I just wanted to make sure that was heard. Yeah, it was Veep. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, where where they uh, they have like the most nightmare candidate and he's losing and then he's like shoots himself or something and they wake up and they, they're like, 
oh, this is terrible. We're going to lose. And they wake up the next morning. There's posters all over the place for them. And they're like, oh, it's a Christmas miracle. The NRA, you know, like this, like this scene. I wonder if Veep got this from this because it would. This movie, I think, came out before that. Thank and, uh, God. Thank God for the NRA. It's a Christmas miracle. Is literally, I think, on my top five of my most remembered and laughed hardest at moments in the entire <laughs> Veep series. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, number one though. Number one though is like. Uh, something about like uh, you know there's some like issue that they're tackling that's like really like tough to do you know and like is giving them all a bunch of headaches and someone says like god I miss abortion <laughs> uh, yeah. that's always going to be my number one yeah. <laughs> Sloan knows that now is the time to put the enemy trump card into their hand remember she prepared that and it's the travel document that she filled out in her own handwriting, which she didn't need to, but did intentionally. And so she makes the call to Jane the Mole. Jane is the blonde lady with the glasses that everyone was really surprised didn't come with Sloan to the new firm. But if you were paying very close attention, you would have seen that Sloan uh, arranged and had some kind of conversation we were not privy to um, right after she made her decision and before she arranged the coup. So that's when they made these secret arrangements and planned all this stuff, or at least uh, Sloan gave her instructions to Jane them all. Um, the call itself is very simple and also doesn't give anything away to the audience. It's very nice. Uh, she makes the call. Jane picks up. Sloan says, I didn't think that you'd pick up. Jane says, you got the wrong number. And that's it. So as the audience, we haven't been clued into anything, but that was the code phrase. That was the code phrase plus spy points for having a dirt simple code phrase. Yep. And that puts in motion the delivery of the trump card. Um, Jane will now, as the enemy is looking for dirt on Sloan, Jane will, while pretending to think about it, hmm, hmm, that is really difficult. It would be really difficult. And then pretends to have like an, oh, wait a second, I remember something. And she presents them with the document, which is enough for them to say like, yeah, we could get her on ethics. How do we do that? We'll have to get a senator to 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 go after her right yeah now we don't see it again this is like stuff we're gonna find out later uh but sloan puts her ex nsa intel mercenaries onto waterston that's the head of i call him waterston that's just it just happens to be sam waterston from law and order right yeah yeah just calling him the actor i'm not gonna try to remember his name he's not that important in this movie, but uh, she uh, she has her mercs surveil Waterston so that they can capture the meeting that he has with Senator Lithgow, which again, <laughs> right, yeah, just call him Senator Lithgow for now, um, and that's gonna that's her trump card. 
that she now has in play. So now we go all the way back to the future, back to the future, gotta get back in time, uh, which is the hearing, the framing device. Um, they are uh, waving the this travel doc interface, saying like, look, this is your handwriting, right? Yeah. Which, which they have just, they think that they have just lured her into perjuring herself on, but she actually intentionally perjured herself on. But uh, they have that on her. They have that. She is in breach, and they have the evidence. Um, they also have her on planning to use illegal surveillance. She lies about this as well, and especially like well, when... Well, they don't have her on using surveillance because she claims that she never used it because Merlin had said no. And then, he, and then uh, Senator Lithgow asked her, uh, have you ever used illegal surveillance? And she says no. I know, but notice that she stops and like really like looks down and thinks about it. And you almost have to imagine that internally she's suppressing a giggle. <laughs> <laughs> it's definitely like, well, this this is my number three best trade craft. And uh, I, I, I know that you put this as your number one was planning the document. Um, it was. Yeah, I did. I did. Yeah. I, I, I put this as my number three because I don't think she had planned this out because there was that scene where she threw everything off the table just before making the call to Jane. And um, and she was really upset because at this point she had realized she had to throw herself under the bus and would probably face like prison time. And um, I think she planted the document as like an ace in the hole if she had to use it. In this whole movie, you know, we didn't really discuss this very much. This whole movie, she's playing probabilities. You know, like, uh, it, it, it's not that she's orchestrating everything. And that's why I really love this as a spy film. Uh, a lot, most spy films, it's like, oh, spy master versus spy master. I have everything under control. You know, this spy master has this under control. This spy master has this under control. And they're playing chess. What I love about this film is it makes it much more realistic where you have a spy master that is playing probabilities and watching how things play out and then adjusting towards those probabilities. Like her ability to adapt to situation is like uncanny. And, and um, I, I put this as my number three because this one isn't something she had direct control in. This is just kind of like an ace in the hole that she had planted in case they were going to like, like she ever had to, you know what I mean? Just looking at the way she operates in the whole film, she's very meticulous and she's very aware of things going on. And she watches like how the waves develop and this is why I think she might have predicted that someone would have attacked Esme and maybe have not predicted like Boy Scout saving Esme. You know right. I mean? It's, I mean, there's, there's an understanding that she can't predict every event that's going to happen, but it got my number one tradecraft not to relitigate it, uh, mainly because she basically developed her, this plan before she even, accepted the job you know it's not like she decided no, she, to accept yeah, it's not she, like she decided to accept the job and then figured out how to win she thought about it she figured out how to win and then she accepted the job 
No, she accepted the job and then signed that paper. She, but she already had it in her mind. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. It's not like she accepted the job and then sat down and said, "Okay, now that I have the job, how am I going to win this thing?" Right. She's she's walking, she's thinking in the car, and she's walking back and forth in her hotel room. She makes her decision. She picks up the phone, says, "Hey, if Socrates didn't write anything down, how do we know like what he said or whatever? We right. got to talk." And that yeah. happens to be the talk with Jane. And that's where she places everything into place. She hasn't actually, like, left the firm yet. She's done it all in advance. She didn't even sit down at the chess table until she had figured out what her checkmate would be. Now, I grant you, she doesn't know how the entire game will be played, but she has this thing in place that she can use. That's And that's the big explosion. Anyways, enough about that. Yeah. But it's my number one. It's your number three. You know, we're still a team. I still love you. Oh yeah, absolutely. No, 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 no animosity here. Yeah. Um. Next, she makes a statement uh, that she confesses she believes the bill is the right thing to do, and uh, but she also confesses that when she took this job, and this is this is really important about about the story of our uh, hero. Um, um, she confesses she took the job to win, that she wanted to prove that she could win and took on, like, you know, you brought up this, uh, 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 I, I guess, David and Goliath allegory here where she wanted to be, you know, she's always been at the top of the hill and been able to swim with the sharks, but now she wanted to go down and win against the Goliath from a smaller standpoint. Where there she is want, a- she, yeah, she wanted a crack at Goliath, and that it was her ambition and her obsession with winning and her desire for a shot at Goliath. Like, she's trying to say, like, look, I really do believe this is a good thing, but it's not why I did it. I didn't do it because I'm a goody-two-shoes. I did it because I'm a fucking jerk. That like yeah. really, really like wants to, and and, and she, she says this. She says this after she sees Esme in the audience because early in the film, Esme had left the team and flown off away, and and Esme shows up for the hearing, and I think I think this is something. This is the turning point in her character that she's not just this like like uh, cold shell of a person, you know, and then we also see in the hearing, they, you know, we didn't bring up them bringing Ford into the hearing where Ford could have sold her out. You know, this is important also because she had prepared, this is how much prepared she is for anything, right? She, she's not orchestrating everything. She's prepared for everything. And she assumed Ford, the escort was going to sell her out. And he lied to the Senate. We're not talking about lying in just a regular court, which is already a big deal. She lied to the Senate. Oh, you think she's never... surprised? You think she's surprised that Ford doesn't sell her out? That's interesting. Yes, because she, she, she said to her attorney, just let it play out. It's going to come like out. That. Yeah, I like that take. I like that take. That's a good take. Yeah, and so, like, that affected her, right? Where she so there's like a line earlier in the movie where she was just like I lied because I had to you know what I mean and I think she said that to Ford when they were in the hotel like I had to I lied because I had to you know what I mean like so she's obviously had a life of where she had to put on the performance 
be like this cold, like calculating person. And here Ford doesn't sell her out. He shows loyalty to her. Esme, after everything she did to Esme, shows up in solidarity for her. That's true. Spirit spiritually, these are really important, but tactically, it doesn't like change anything. She's still gonna do it. I mean, she's still gonna do what she's gonna do. She's basically like crucified herself. Um fiction I don't think was what she had planned because of Esme. I'm I'm talking about like her point of coming out and like confessing who she really was. That she's there because she wanted to win and show that she was the best lobbyist in history. And that she deserves censor censure because she crossed the line. She endangered people. She did things that were wrong. She did them intentionally and willfully. Right. And so it looks like, and you want to talk about darkest before the dawn. This is about as dark as it gets. And then she drops the bomb. Yep. And what is that bomb? That bomb is the cockroach obtained (laughs) uh, surveillance (laughs) of uh, Waterston and uh, Lithgow. Yeah. Um, you know, planning this whole shit out. And again, um, and Lisko is heading the hearing. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So it's great. It's great. It's great. It's a great, like, I don't know. Like, have you seen any other movies where like the whole time, like, you know, it's like, I don't know. It's just like one of those, like, no, you're on trial motherfucker. (laughs) (laughs) Um, it's a fantastic twist. Uh, I saw that some critics, we're kind of like pooping on it as far as it being like, kind of like unrealistic, but, but liking the rest of the movie, I mean, you do have to consider her again as like a Sherlock Holmes level intellect to buy into all this shit, but I totally buy it. I mean, or I mean, I buy it because I, I buy it because I like it. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, she's basically just like blown up. Like she's got the gun lobby, the enemy agency, and the, you know, the the. I don't want to. I don't want to say that Lithgow is, um, an evil person here, but he's part of the rot. You know, he's he's part of the people that can be influenced. And like my favorite, you know, we talked about other movies about lobbying. My favorite line one of my favorite lines of all time is from the American president where uh, Michael J. Fox punches a Pepsi can and says, just vote your conscience, motherfucker. Yeah. <laughs> That's all I want. That's all I want is for uh, our congressman to just, just vote your conscience. Like that's just, just, uh, just do your fucking job. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but anyways, she's annihilated herself but as she's done it in such a way that she has also blown up the gun lobby, the enemy agency, and the senator, and the bill passes. Basically, she wins by losing. Which is kind of a cool way for a movie well, to Well, yeah, work. I mean, like, you know me, I love the self-sacrifice characters. She threw herself onto the bus to win. And that's why there was that scene where she, like, threw everything off the table and was so upset because she realized that she had to basically, like, get herself imprisoned. You know, right? It's. It, I, I really enjoyed that, you know, where it was just like she was willing to throw away everything for the win, you know. So I, I want to go deep into that 
uh, for a bit before we go to deep breathing, but I see that you still need to uh, flag your number uh, one. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Number one best trade craft, which we kind of discussed earlier because this was also uh, one of Todd's best trade craft, but I wanted to say until later. Uh, while Sloan is throwing herself under the bus, uh, our uh, mole Jane uh, walks up to Connor or in, in the audience behind Connor says that she wanted to discuss her future and uh, Connor's is kind of like this is not the right time she's like oh I think it is and she hands her she hands him a note and says I'm putting in my resignation academia was like more my suit you know but he pulls out the note it's the note that Merlin had wrote and given to Sloan and on the front side as we discussed, way at the beginning of the movie when he recruited her wait when he recruited her yeah uh, it, at the front, it says, uh, conviction lobbyists can't only believe in our ability to win. But he flips it over, and it says, the name of their firm offers you zero dollars. So this is where we discover Sloan had done all of this for free. Like This, this is a very nice, this is a very nice fuck you to Connors. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a very, yeah. It's satisfying, a, it's satisfying, because very, very I, love satisfying. The, I love the actor, by the way. I thought he was definitely like one of the one of the highlights highlight performances. Fantastic. He was, he was so despicable, but not over the top. Yeah. It, well, I put this as my number one trade craft where Sloan had planted uh, Jane as the mole, um, and we already discussed this earlier. And uh, it's it's uh, I, I just love how well they played this out that she was literally planted to work really hard for the other team. She worked really, really hard for them. She, she, there was, I mean, we, we don't see any amount of exchange of information. She's perfect. Presumably they did exchange information, but maybe they didn't, but literally she plants this mole just to play her Trump card, you know? And so this is my number one trade craft. Excellent. Excellent. So let's go back to, um, before we go to debriefing, I want to I wanna bring this whole, uh, you know, we've talked about the um, tactical and strategic tradecraft of the movie, but uh, I, we can't walk away from a discussion of this movie without talking about what I think is the deeper meaning of Elizabeth Sloan's self-destruction. Okay. Okay. So I want to note that one of the very first things we see in... Now, Throughout the movie, we're going to see her sl slipping her little speed pills out of her little cylindrical case, right? Uh, you know, we're going to get this, uh, we're going to be constantly reminded that she's uh, pushing herself kind of beyond human limits. That's also, by the way, a weird, like, uh, Sherlock Holmes kind of thing, because he also did the same thing. He was a drug abuser that abused drugs to try to uh, push himself beyond human limits, right? In the very beginning, very, very beginning of the movie, one of the very first things we see as she's getting ready for the hearing, and we haven't even seen what the hearing is about, we see her dumping the pills into the drain of her sink. And this is before we even know what the pills are. Yeah. And as she's walking out of her hotel room to go to the lobby, she drops her little cylindrical case into the garbage can. That's the last thing that she leaves behind as she goes forth into this hearing. Now, remember, again, 
have to underline this. At this point in the movie, we had no idea what the pills were or what the significance of the little cylinder uh, was to her. But if you watch it again and you pay close attention, she's walking away from her life. She is actively choosing again. Like this is uh, this is an act of self-destruction. She Ford is important because it gives her uh, a person that is outside of uh, the the business of lobbying. Right. That she can make some snarky comments about, like, look, I pay you so that I don't have to, like, uh, think about, like, the, 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 the path I didn't take. Right. But we'll see a couple of cracks besides that. I mean, at that time, at that point, like, when she's talking to Ford, she's just making it sound like, yeah, this is what I chose. Fuck off. You know, I'm fine with it. But we will see some cracks in her armor along the way. The first one, <clears throat> remember the, um, right after she outed Esme, and Merlin confronts her in her office, she is, like, really kind of cackling, ready to say, like, oh, but guess what, boss? Guess what? I got it all figured out. We're going to win. And she's, like, pouring drinks and, like, here, have one. And he's, like, fuck this. You're a, you're a fucked up person. And, and, and he specifically declines to drink with her. And she looks genuinely sad and lonely. Remember, she is a person that we've seen in this movie um, put on a lot of different faces when she needs to. But we need to pay attention to how she acts when she's alone, which we don't actually see her alone very much in this movie. But in the few scenes we do, she looks sad. Yeah. And and there's this is a this I mean this one if you if you go back and and look at it I mean she kind of cradles the bottle under her arm and she like yeah, kind of like does, make, uh, yeah, makes some reverts when 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 he confronts her and and he like really corners her she's like well I guess I'm a piece of work and she spins around in her chair like reverts into like she's really proud of herself right leaves when he leaves she like holds the bottle like a hug you know. Like yeah, like like almost like a teddy bear. Yeah, and she almost like go, makes a move to take a drink from her glass, but then she doesn't because she's kind of you know she's thinking like, oh, what's the point? What's the fucking point? Yeah, this was her moment that she was really excited to big, make the big reveal of her big victory and her big spy master points, and she this is when she's starting to learn who she really is. You know, type of thing, and it's and it's immediately after that that she has another of her encounters with Ford, where she actually like kind of kind of goes for him in a way that like is a more of a like not just a I need to get you know I just need to get my orgasm and like move on so I can do my job the next day, but like more of a like I need you and yeah. and and. In that moment of intimacy, she becomes terrified. She pushes him away. And yeah. again, she's feeling her loneliness very acutely. Later in the movie, the Esme attack, the attack on Esme, is going to make Sloane feel really crappy about herself. Yeah. Especially, like, the things that Esme said to her. 
you know, it's it's definitely like an eye-opening experience. Right. So this is the moment where the hero, uh, I'm sorry, the protagonist is confronted with the actual human cost and damage that uh, can result from her single-mindedness. So I would call that the protagonist's flaw, right? Yeah. And so once she's overcome that flaw, then she can go ahead and proceed and, like, uh, win the movie. Um, so, you know, she has a breakdown in the office. Like, again, this is after, uh, you know, dismissing everyone. And I think it was, again, a, a conversation with Merlin, who, you know, we've made a lot of, like, um, you know, cracks about him being a stand-in for the stupid chief, uh, you know, and the damn it, Sloan uh, kind of stuff. <laughs> But he's yeah. but he's been he's been a good sounding board for her, uh, in terms of like, or he's been a good mirror for her in a couple of key moments for her to see just how damaged of a person she is. Yeah. And again, that breakdown in the office. This is right before she makes the call to Jane to uh, put her final thing into play. Her breakdown in the office, this is not just her looking sad and lonely. This is her, like, freaking out. Like, freaking out. She, like, you know, throws all the files off the desk and blah, blah. And it's not a performance for anyone. Uh, this is, again, like, like one of the few moments we see her by herself. And, in fact, I don't think there's very many moments in this movie where you see her by herself where she seems all right. Like, it, seems like, yeah. it seems like she only really seems like an all right altogether person when she's around other people. Right. So um, also let's note that, uh, you know, that breakdown came right after Merlin's last thought to her was like, you know, you could just walk away. So what I think is going on, what I, and what I think, I mean, when I first saw the movie, this felt like really immediate and profound to me. Maybe now on future viewings, it's a little harder to distinguish, but I still still think it's there. I think that she went after Goliath because I think she I think she wanted to take herself out. I think she wanted to destroy herself, like you said again, like the the self sacrificing hero. But it's not just it's not just I'm sacrificing myself for the greater good. It's I'm sacrificing myself because I have become a dangerous thing that needs to be destroyed. Oh, that makes a lot of sense. Because right. you know, that's why she took, denied the NRA contract. Right. Because when, when the guy says to her, you have a reputation of just not caring. And, and that, that really woke up something in her. And that's not who she wanted to be. And so she I think, has to... I think there's a... Um, one of my favorite uh, fantasy stories involves a woman who is carrying a sword uh, from, like, dimension to dimension. And this sword is insanely powerful and insanely dangerous. It's just something that really should not be. But the hero character, like, explains at one point, like, the only reason that she carries it is because it can't be destroyed it's too powerful to be destroyed and it's too dangerous to be left lying around. 
Like right. she's the she's the only person that she trusts to like hold it. But like if she could destroy herself and destroy the sword, like she probably would. Right. Um and I hope that makes some sense in what I'm talking about. Like I think that Miss well, Sloan I think it does. I, I think I, Miss I think Miss Sloan realizes that she needs to be taken out and she knows that nobody can do it except for her. Right. She even uh you know makes this you know final note in the uh you know in the epilogue when talking to the lawyer uh she says like um career suicide is preferable to suicide by career. But someone's got to someone's got to stop me. And none of you motherfuckers can. So I'm right. just going to have to do it for you. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. And then uh, last, last, uh, if the theory, which I've lately, only lately been introduced to, and like I'm, I'm looking for in different movies, uh, someone floated a theory past me recently where the last frame of a film contains its thesis. If that's true, the last frame of this movie is Sloan walking out of the penitentiary. So uh, I guess it's her walking out of the machine. Uh, I see. All right, so David, do you think uh, we're ready to come in from the cold now? Absolutely, let's do it. Agents, please report for debriefing on this operation. The director will see you now. This is a five. This is a five for me. I love this movie. Yeah, me too. This is it, definitely it, my could it possibly maybe be a 4.5? Maybe, because maybe there's only so many times I need to see it. But uh, ah, it's, 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 just, it's just pretty much perfect. It's, it's waterproof, script-wise. Uh, it's got fantastic performances. And the casting, what, one thing I always look for in casting, too, is like that the, like the, the primary characters should not be like should be primary actors and and the secondary cast should be secondary actors and the tertiary cast should be tertiary actors so that everything just lines up and the audience always knows like who to really pay attention to and this casting is just fucking great it's perfect i agree i i'm definitely giving this a five uh, this is definitely amongst my top spy films. Um, you know, I, when I brought this up to you, I was saying this will get our feet wet for a good shepherd. Um, it, there's so much, there's so much subtlety and detail in this film. It's ridiculous. Like, even though we've torn this film apart, we did not go over everything that you could talk about. And, um, politically, uh, cinematography, or I guess the uh, film filmography, whatever you would call it, it's 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 amazing, and I completely agree. This deserves a five. But um, yeah, yeah, well directed, well cast, well acted, well scripted. Just uh, what I mean, there's nothing, there's nothing wrong with this movie. Yeah, even if you could find something wrong, it's like negligible. All right, let's hit let's hit in in uh, just uh, uh, quickly because I think we're running a little over time. Uh, over our uh, uh, worst tradecrafts, what do we got? So again, it was really difficult for us to pick tradecraft. Uh, my number three, the escort liability. Uh, she should have noticed the change like around the time that she had left the firm. 
I think that's a really solid catch, dude. Yeah. What's your number two? Let's just hear your number two and number one, and then I'll hit mine. My number two is the other team should have known that she would have been watching everybody and should have had a backup plan for the mole. Uh, but I don't know if it would make a good movie for that. My number one, her throwing the debate, I'm still not sure why she did it. I mean, I get it. I mean, we discussed it, but I'm still not sure. Yeah, we had, I mean, we had to do some some twists and turns to try to possibly figure out how that might make sense. Yeah. Uh, my number three worst was taking the intern along. I don't trust that guy. Yeah. I don't have, I don't have anything specifically against nerdy guys with glasses, but it just seemed like he, he just, he just seemed like just a weak point, weak point. Um, her barium meal could have been quite more inefficient. Remember surveillance is expensive. So instead of having a barium meal that goes out to a set of people, and then you have to have all of them watch to see what they do with it, uh, you know, narrow it down. If you're a more professional trained spy, you would have done it that way. And uh, my number one easy is uh, the NSA mercs didn't need to explain the cockroach to a civilian. Yeah. Over That's to my. Cut. What's that? Yeah, over to my sure. best. Yeah. Uh, my number three best is uh, how she like uh, managed to worm her way into uh, getting to know Esme. Uh, that was, that was really smoothly done. Very, very trade crafty. That was like, that was the work of a practice professional. Um, number two is the whole way that she managed the, uh, the question and answer thing in Wisconsin, where she knew that the enemy team was possibly one step ahead of her on knowing who her plant was, so she went one step ahead of them and uh, got her uh, backup plan in place and how she smoothly traded and executed that. And then, um, yeah, my number one is, it's a combination of things, but just preparing the enemy's trump card, especially doing that before you even take the job, leaving them all behind, which will be the delivery system of the enemy trump card. Uh, just love it. And you are. Uh, my number three was planning the document, the incriminating document before leaving the firm. Uh, number two, planning the big, the, the big speech outside to suss out the mole in her fancy outfit. Uh, I thought that was really clever. And then uh, number one was planting Jane uh, at the old firm, and it, that was very well executed. Okay, and the movie on one to five redactions, five being a highly redacted movie, right? Means it has no basis in reality whatsoever, and that everything we've seen, we probably didn't see anything that really would have happened. One redaction is a very realistic spy movie. It means that what we've seen has probably not been redacted and totally could have happened. What do you think? I'm going to... I don't think this actually happened, but I think it's very realistic, so I'm going to put this at a three. Why a three and not a one? Because this isn't based on a specific event. Yeah, but it totally could have been. All right, well, all right, all right. Well, let's go with a two then. Because... Uh, 
I'll meet you at two. Okay. Or like a one point five. Yeah, maybe, maybe, maybe for a one, it, it has to be like uh, actually historical. Because we, I think we put. But the- uh, do keep in mind, do keep in mind, like the new teletext, That was like it. It didn't happen in America, but it happened in France. Yeah. Uh, the Heat and Harris bill was based on an actual bill, although it was a bill that failed instead of a bill bill that succeeded. Uh, do you have, do you think I could like uh, sneak you down to a one point five, buddy? You could do that. I mean, we put the company at one point five because they were all real events, but it was unrealistic with how they played out. That, that good, point. good Good point. I'll meet we you at two. We could do one point five or two. Yeah, we could do two. Two sounds. Nah, good. you're you're right. You're right. If the company was a one point five, this is a two. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Well, I, I really enjoyed this movie a lot. I'm glad we did it. Me too. And that's the end of our show. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to reach out to us, you can find us on Twitter at spies underscore like us. Visit us on our website at www.spieslikeus.net. You know, find out about upcoming episodes. Also, what will really help us out is if you give us a review on wherever you found our podcast, either on iTunes or your Android app or YouTube or wherever you listen to us. Uh, even if you didn't like the show, just give us a review. It'll help us give us feedback so we can make the show better. And it can also help other people who haven't found the show yet find out about us. Hey, Moira, initiate Protocol 9. Protocol 9 initiated. This podcast will self-destruct in 20 seconds. The preceding transmission sampled the songs Ice Cold by Audio Nautics, Enter the Party by Kevin McLeod, and sound effects from freesound.org. Attributions and links are found at spieslikeus.net. Editing by Todd Hostetler.